Welcome to The Outpouring with Executive Pastor Bob Oliver of the New Covenant Church of Philadelphia. Keep the faith. This is something that is more than just a saying or a slogan. It's something that we have to endeavor to do. The Bible is clear. It says we must endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. It's very clear. That means unity doesn't just happen because we come together. It takes work. You have to endeavor. So it is with the faith, keeping the faith, because there's so many external and sometimes even internal pressures. Life is hard. Dr. King was once quoted as saying, life is harder than steel. Life is harder than steel. But we have something in us, the Spirit of God that is fire. And fire can melt steel. So it doesn't matter how hard life gets, we want to keep the faith so that fire that's in us can burn up anything that comes to sway us or to distract us. I want to connect last week's message with this week's message. I want to read one verse out of the book of Job, which the whole theme of Job is wrestling with the, the eternal existence or problem with unmerited suffering. All of us who are churchgoers know about unmerited favor. We talk about that. But rarely do we talk about unmerited suffering. And Job is our lesson, the first book of the Bible that was written, written by Moses, the servant of God. And it's for all generations to know that even when God testifies of our righteousness as he did for Job, things can happen. His suffering, the writers of Hebrew talks about, talk about the patience of Job because of what he endured. But the people who came around him their mindset, and I know they had good hearts because they traveled from a far place to be there, but they said, you must, come on, admit it. Come on, bruh, you know you sinned. This doesn't happen to somebody if they haven't sinned because that's their view of God. And if we don't keep the faith, our view of God can be contaminated by the broader culture and the culture has penetrated the walls of the church. And we're going to look into that. Some of the things that Paul wrestled with, we're wrestling with today. And I pray that God would bring that to light so that we, the body of Christ, would be built up and strong and ready to endure and to be able to stand. And the way you stand, having done all, you stand. You do everything you can do, and then you stand. You put your shoulders back, you put your head up, and you stand. But you can only do that if you keep the faith. Somebody say with me. I need to hear you say it. Keep the faith. To him who is afflicted, kindness should be shown by his friends. Even though he forsakes the fear 
of the Almighty. Leave that up for a moment. This is after Job's friend. Notice he has three friends who are there, but this is singular. Friend. Because Eliphaz had given him this lecture about his sin, his unrighteousness, and that's why he's in this condition. He had sat with him for a long time, and I'm sure he was thinking, how can I encourage him? And then he opens his mouth and tells him he's going to die without wisdom. Is that supposed to be encouragement? So if I were to, I want you to look at this verse, and I want you to write down what you see in this verse that's instructional for you. I want you to write down what you see, and then I'm going to tell you what I see. But he says, he's talking about himself, he's afflicted, and his friend, at this point, only one had spoken, had given him counsel. And what Job is saying is, even if the person you're counseling, Melanie, has forsaken the fear of the Almighty, even if it were true that I'm unrighteous, Reverend Hans, even if it's true that I'm unrighteous, you should show me kindness because I'm afflicted. I'm afflicted. And you come to talk to me like that? How can that help me? I'm, I'm about to die. I don't understand why all of this has happened. All of a sudden, I've lost everything. I woke up every morning early before the sun came up to sacrifice for my 10 children. That's a lot of work. I had to make certain that I prepared the sacrifice. I had to roast it. I did that 10 times every day because I said my, my kids might sin. I have to cover them. I love them more than I love myself, and now they're all gone. All my servants who were there to serve with me, they're gone. All the things that I had, I was the richest man in the East, and now I have nothing, and I have no one. There's no one, and the only ones who came to visit me were you. I appreciate you showing up, but this is what you say to me? This is what you say to a friend? When I look at this verse, I realize that it doesn't matter who I'm counseling, it doesn't matter who I'm coaching, it doesn't matter who I'm talking to, it doesn't matter what I know about their life, I don't care what they've done, it is not my job to judge them when they're afflicted. It is my job to show kindness, not to afflict them. Even if they've forsaken the fear of the Lord, even if they are what we would call ungodly. Job, who knows what he's talking about because of his condition, he's saying, even if you're right and I did something wrong, you ought to show me kindness. So what I see in this one verse is the posture that you and I ought to have towards those who are afflicted. Because when we have that posture, they will be more likely to receive the one who when he's lifted up, he'll draw all to him. 
we have been commanded to compel others to come in. And it's sad to say, sometimes, sometimes, I know I have been in my walk more of a repellent will repel more than compel because the standard of righteousness, and there is a standard, there is a standard, but when someone's afflicted, that's not the time. That's the time to show kindness and to love them, and they will never forget that you showed kindness in their hour of need. Just like that child, when I keep the promise to this child after service, they will always remember that that was the case. But if it was the opposite, they will always remember that as well. So I hope you put in your notes what you see here because this is a lesson in how we the believers ought to posture ourselves in a situation where we are ministering to someone who's afflicted. And sometimes all that's required is the ministry of presence. Just show up. I think we, the way we communicate in Western culture is by talking. In the Eastern culture, they communicate by listening. We need to listen more in ministry and talk less. I've never, Reverend Alicia Parker, counseled someone and talk more than they talk. I try my best to listen 80 to 90% of the time because what I've, dis what I've discovered is your spiritual discernment goes up. I can hear not only what's spoken, but what's not spoken. The Holy Ghost is a great diagnostic tool, but if you are speaking, and often what I found is if I'm speaking is something I've already premeditated. I'm gonna quote a scripture, which in that moment is hollow because that's not what the person needs. When someone is afflicted, show kindness. Now that's the bridge from last week to what we wanna talk about today. We're gonna to go to the book of Acts chapter 17, and we're going to read more than a few verses. I was going to say a few, about 10 verses. Just take us a couple minutes, though. We're going to read verses 17, chapter 17, beginning at verse 22, and we're going to go to 31. Here's what it says. Then Paul stood in the midst of of the Arapagus and said, men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription. Two things to take away, first of all. They were, they worshiped, and they had an altar. So far, it sounds good, right? All worship and every altar is not focused in the right direction. He says, look, to the unknown God. He sees an inscription on the altar to the unknown God. 
How would you, how could you worship a God that you don't know? How would you, how could you? And you know, knowing God is always a two-way street. That's why in Matthew 25, Jesus said to some, the goats on his left hand, depart from me, you who work iniquity. I never knew you. I never knew you. And they said, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out devils in your name. Does that have anything to do with knowing him? According to him, it doesn't. Because I, he, I, he said, I never knew you. Then the other people on his right hand is like, Lord, when do we do this? When you fed the hungry, when you visited the poor, or when you went to those who were in prison, when you do that to the least, you've done it to me. But here it is, Paul goes to this place. He, sees in, he first sees that they're very religious. How does he know? An altar and a, and a place of worship to the unknown God. Let's keep going. Therefore, look at what Paul does. He takes what's in front of him and he uses it to show them or introduce them to one that he knows very well and he wants them to know. You know what it's like when you know someone and I don't and I come to you and say, you know, I'd like to meet them. Your influence can get me in front of that person and I can get to know them. Every believer has that kind of influence. We can introduce them to somebody that they need to know that they have never met. They might have heard about them. They may even go to an altar. They may even worship. But to them, he's unknown. Therefore, the one whom you worship, listen to, listen to this, without knowing, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. We could talk about that. That could be a message all by itself. But that's not the assignment today. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointment, their pre-appointed times and the boundary, boundaries of their dwellings so that they ask, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone something shaped 
by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance, God overlooked. But now, somebody say, but now, commands all men everywhere to do what? To repent. Why? Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance to this, of this, to all by raising him from the dead. That last line is the defense of the gospel. Every, there are some people who say many roads lead to God. Prominent people who have big platforms, all roads lead to God. It can't be that only one way, all roads lead to God. And get some preachers on camera, on the record, to acquiesce. Jesus could not have been more clear. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, I don't care how important you are, I don't care if you're a king, a queen, or a president, no one can come to the Father except by me. And what Paul is saying is, Paul is acting as an apologist and a defender of the faith. He said, he's given us all evidence. You need to repent. And the evidence is sure because he raised him from the dead. He's the firstborn from the dead. There's nobody else who you follow who got up from the grave. I don't care. You might, Confucius has some good things to say, but he's in the grave. Buddha was a great philosopher, but he's in the grave. Muhammad may have been a great prophet in his time, but his time is up. He's in the grave. But Jesus, the one who shed his blood on the cross to make us all under one blood, got up from the grave. And on that third day, he walked around and was seen by more than 500 people. And he stayed with them for 40 days. There's that 40. There's that 40. It was a test. And I want you to know something. There, there are times... When the Lord walks with us, and he's walking with us for a test like he walked with them, he walked with 500 of them, but only 120 showed up in the upper room. I want you to know, I want to walk with him forever and always. I'm not going to stop walking with him. Walk with me, Lord. I need you to walk with me. For 40 days, he was with them. I wonder what distracted those other 380 people. What in their life could have been more important than following what he said, go and wait? Did they lack patience? Did they have something more important to do? Did they have this career opportunity that couldn't be missed? Did they have to go to their kids' soccer game? Like, what was it? What could keep you 
from doing something that has eternal value. What Paul is communicating to these people who were religious, who are seeking truth, who listened to all kind of stuff, the, the, if we start from the beginning, he, Paul stood in the midst of the Arapagus. The Arapagus is a hill, it's a place, but it's also a council of very prominent people. And in Greece was the seat of Hellenism. Hellenists were influenced by Greek culture. And so these people were products of what was in the culture. That's why Paul said, some of your poets. He used what they were accustomed to to introduce them to the gospel. That's why we need to be aware of what's going on around us so we can introduce them to the one who can save them, the only one who could deliver them. And Paul was clear, he's gonna, the day is coming where he's gonna judge the world. If their philosophy taught otherwise, Paul is saying, no, 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 you need to know. And the evidence of that is he raised them from the dead. He's given everyone assurance. Is there anybody else you know? I'm now I'm channeling Paul. Is there anybody else you know who got up from the grave? He's the only one. He is the one by whom the world is going to be judged. And he's going to judge the world in what? In righteousness. The reason we repent and we come to him is so that we can take on his righteousness. So when that day comes, I'm good. You're good. Are you good? Ask somebody around you, you good? Oh, yeah, you ask a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, I hear that. You good? You good? <laughs> because here's the thing, Minister Howard. The world, and I'm going to show you evidence, will tell me and tell you that you're good. And if I didn't know Jesus, I would trust in my goodness because I'm inherently good. There are people who fight the truth. They don't really believe the Bible as authoritative. They don't believe it as being, it's not literal, it's ancient. Some think it's mythology. But they say people are inherently good. And a good God would never judge people that he created and send them to hell. And they're, uh-oh, somebody said, yes, he will. I was about to put on some, some velvet around the hammer. He took the velvet off. But here, you want to hear the truth? I want you to either go to or write in your notes, Matthew 25 and 41. Jesus talked about hell more than anyone, but he made it clear hell wasn't prepared for people. God is not going to send anyone to hell, but he's going to judge and write. He's a righteous God. He's holy. So if we're not found in his son, I send myself to hell. I have free will. It's my choice. Choose this day who you're going to serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. So it's not God doing it. So people would make you believe he's an angry God. No, no. He provided. He sent his son. You know the pain it caused God to watch 
his only son, his own material himself, God went into Mary's womb by the Spirit and impregnated her. Mary, Jesus didn't come by the will of man. He wasn't flesh or he was not the will of flesh and blood. He was born in the flesh to relate to us, but his blood type was not A or B or O or negative or positive. His blood type was G-O-D. G-O-D. And if his blood is on you, you now got G-O-D inside of you. And that's who justifies you. I'm riding with G-O-D. And you can't give that to the Red Cross. You can't donate that blood. God required that blood for sin. And the world will tell you that we are not, sin is not corrosive. It's not, there are people have a little bit of sin but we're inherently good. And that does what those religious people were experiencing because of Hellenism and because it had impacted their lifestyle and, the, and their culture, it caused them to drift. And Paul said, I see that you're religious. I see your altar, I see you worshiping. But you even said to the unknown God, I, he's an invisible God, but, I, but there's evidence of who he is. He sent his son in the flesh so we could get to know him. If you want to know the express image of God, look at Jesus. If you want to learn about him, last week we ended the message with, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. He said, that's how you can have peace. That's how you can find rest. Learn of me, because I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. There are so many restless souls because they're not learning of him. He's still an unknown God to many. And unfortunately, there are people who sit in the pews who don't really know him. Like, you, you have to, this is a personal thing. I can't, all I can do is introduce someone to him. And the reason that verse that we read from Job, we should never sit in judgment because we can't send anybody to heaven, we can't condemn anyone to hell. But what we can do is show them the way to heaven. Jesus is the way. And we can show them the way to avoid hell. Jesus paid the penalty for, this is good news. It's not bad. Why does the world reject it? They make it sound like it's something that doesn't apply. Do you know why the enemy does that to us? And the ways that he attempts is when we justify ourselves, we develop the kind of blindness that's undetectable. If a person, Elder Hiromi, has natural blindness, they know they're blind. You can't convince them otherwise because they can't see. When one is spiritually blind, they don't know it. It's undetectable. John 9 and 41 Gee, write that down, John 9 and 41. Jesus is talking to Pharisees, some very orthodox Judaizers. And he, he was talking to the man who he healed from blindness. And the man now, was, was, his natural sight was restored. 
and he heard Jesus, they overheard Jesus talking to him. And he asked the man a few questions. Now, the man had been healed. He knew that the, the, the person who healed him, his name was Jesus. But he said, I don't know him. I don't know anything else about him. But Jesus will never leave us ignorant. There was a time he winked at ignorance. But now he's calling everybody, Dennis, to repentance. He showed up for that man after the man had been kicked out of the synagogue, excommunicated for telling his testimony. Can you imagine if you tell a testimony and the church doesn't receive it, they say, get out. Security? Security. Show this person the door. Don't let their feet touch the ground. I want you to lift them off their feet and take them out of here. Jesus goes and sees him. Sees him. He says, do you believe on the Son of God? He said, I, who is the Son of God that I might believe? He said, the one you're speaking to is the Son of God. And in that instance, Elder Duckett, he believed. And so Jesus began to commend him and talk to him about blindness. And he was distinguishing between spiritual blindness and natural blindness. And he did what he did for that man, according to Jesus, for the glory of God. And God was glorified because it opened a way for Jesus to teach people who were spiritually blind how to get rid of it. So they overheard him. They overheard the truth. They overheard the life. They heard the way who was right in front of them. And they asked each other, is he talking about us too? I know he's not saying we're blind. Do you know that I went to Yeshiva University? I have more letters behind my name than Del Monte has P's. I am, do you know what a scholar I am? He's not talking about us. Jesus looked to them, and I believe it's in verse 41. He said, if you would say you were blind, in other words, if you would confess and admit it, you would see. But now because you say you see, you remain blind. And then what else did he say? Your sins remain. Spiritual blindness will cause me to justify things that are outside of the will of God. And I think that I'm right. They're, they're in the presence of Jesus who alone can save them. And they're holding on to what they know. They're very religious but they don't know God. They read the Torah, they read the Pentateuch, but they don't know God. When he shows up, they don't even recognize, are you talking to me? Can you imagine if the Lord is trying to speak to you and you, are you talking to me? I'm already good, I'm together. You need to talk to this person over here, this adulterer over here, I'm good. I am good. Why am I saying all of this? Because we're living in a culture that is just as engulfed as the Arapagus in Paul's day. I do you have my PowerPoint slides? Put the first one up. I want to go through a couple to make a point and bring this text to life. It's hard for you to see, but the first one on the top, can you see the bowl? They ask the people, if the Bible is literally true. Can you see that? It's on the top, it's in bold. 
It says the Bible is not literally true. The Bible is not literally true. It's a bunch of stories, it's a bunch of tales, maybe even some fables, some myths. So the one, look all the way over, that's 2022. Starts in 2016, 2018, 2020, 2022. They take this every year. So the outside bar, like the pink one, that's the world. The inside, that's the church. 26% of the people in the church say the Bible is not true. If that's you, I don't have enough oil to pour on you. The Bible is not, so what authority do they have in their life? Let me tell you why this theology is dangerous. 26%, it's about half of what the world says. So that means you see the 52% of people in the world, that means 48% believe it, it's real, that the Bible is true. And they still don't believe it. It's like, no, no, it's true, but it's not for me. And you know how we support that in little subtle ways? Have you heard the saying, I'm telling my truth? And you need to tell your truth. Have you heard that before? Don't you say that. Don't you say that. Because in the most subtle way, what we're doing is we're claiming sovereignty over ourselves. Like that, that you don't want to submit to the truth of God. He is the truth. The truth is absolute. It's not real. Secular humanism says everything is relative. Truth is relative. That's how I get my truth. You get your truth. It's relative. But the devil is a liar. You know what they're really talking about, Ken? They're talking about their experience. My experience is what they're relating to my truth. But people in the world don't know that. We ought to know it. That's why I want to talk about this. I'm like, God, how do we get to this place? Because nobody's talking about it. Nobody is talking about it. I'm okay. You're okay. Let's do it. And we were distracted with other things. This has creeped into, and look at the bar. There was a time in 2018 it went up. 2020, we got better because of COVID. More people believe God then because they looked on the TV. They saw these big trailers with freezers and there weren't enough graves for people. They say, God is real. I need you now. Now we're getting a little better. It doubled. People in the church, keep the faith. Don't let the world dilute your faith. Keep the faith. I don't care what the devil does. Keep the faith. I don't care what the devil says. Keep the faith. We're living in a time that Paul describes as a time of lying wonders. Lying wonders. That's why it's not good for us to chase the supernatural. It ought to follow us. Don't chase it. Because Paul said, in the end, someone's going to be raised up with all signs and lying wonders. So what happens is step by step. First, our morality is eroded and anything goes. And what's wrong is, is, 
is right and what's right is wrong. There's a greater defense for what's wrong. And when that happens, people start to think, maybe I need to think differently. In theology, that's called deconstruction. When you, Job was going through a period of deconstruction, he's like, what? where is God? Where is God in this? You know when you're having a tough time or you're suffering loss? You're like, what? How, Lord, have you left me? Have you abandoned me? That's when we're most vulnerable, when we're going through a season of deconstruction. How does this happen? Is COVID the devil or is it of God? How did God allow this to happen? Why? It, it confuses people. On this Wednesday, I was in Atlanta. I went to the surprise a friend who was here with us last week. Willie Moore Jr. got a, uh, an honor from the Morehouse, uh, the Morehouse Film Festival. So his, his, the person who works with him, his chief of staff, called and said, it would bless him if you showed up. I said, I'll do it on one condition. Don't tell him I'm coming. I'm just going to show up. Don't tell him. And I said, what's the attire? How should I dress? And they said, the attire is fly. So I went to Reverend Andrew, he's my way. I said, what is fly? And he broke it down for me. So I went to Atlanta and I was fly. <laughs> I didn't know what it was. When you don't know, you better ask somebody. So we're on our way to Morehouse and the person gets a call and their countenance totally changes. And they say to the person, I have no words. I need to stop talking now or I'm gonna break down and cry. I cried all day. So then the phone hung up and I waited. Are they gonna say something or do I need to ask? I didn't wanna be intrusive. And then I think I asked a very around the edge question and they said, that person who they're calling me about is someone that I worked with, who I was very close to. And her brother, who was a bishop, was my mentor. It's like the only spiritual mentor I had in my life was the closest. He said, the person said to me, I hope this doesn't come out wrong, but that was my boy. It's like, I don't want to be disrespectful. What the person was trying to say, we were close. We were real. It wasn't just, and he said, there were times where they would say to me, now I'm talking as your bishop. They never went to the, the person never went to the same church, but they were just close. God knitted them together. And he died. He was gone. She says, the biggest funeral I ever attended and all these dignitaries came, but I couldn't understand it. I said, but that's not the call I just got. His sister who was my dear friend who I worked with, I know the whole family, she died today. And we're going to celebrate Willie. And the person paused and said, I think that's awfully cruel. And I sensed in my spirit, she's talking about God. She's deconstructing. She's saying, that's cruel. How could that happen? I didn't talk, I kept listening. And they said, and you know, I went to my pastor with this. I couldn't stop sobbing. I couldn't stop weeping. And my pastor, through my tears, said, 
Death is not a punishment. God is not, it's just God's will. He's not punishing her or you. And the person said, I felt better. There are times when someone is grieving, you can speak life to them. And then there's, it wasn't my time just because I'm a pastor and just because this person actually called me there to be a spiritual mentor because one had just been lost and they said, I want you to be that for Willie. I think he needs you, somebody like you in his life. That wasn't the purpose for that moment. So then they kept telling me more. They said, the mother of my, my friend who died, the bishop, and his sister, who was my dear friend, almost lifelong, who died, all of her children, she's buried. I'm saying, I see why she's saying it's cruel. All of them. And do you know what? Her grandson, who's left, is in prison, getting ready to be executed. So what do we do? And then she said something lighthearted. The family was calling around asking for prayer. And somebody asked, what do you want me to ask God? Be specific, what I'm gonna pray for? Because he did it. He actually did it. So what am I gonna pray for? And it lightened the air a little bit. And then I paused. I said, there's one prayer that can be prayed. Not to have the person released, not all of that, two prayers. I pray for the comfort of that mother who buried all their, her children and now is going to see her grandson very likely, highly likely executed. But you can pray that he would repent because there's still time. There is still time. How would I know evidence? Moses murdered a man, but God buried him himself. That's what Paul was talking about. He's calling everybody to repent. It doesn't matter what you've done. If you repent, you're good. Tell somebody, you're good. All you have to do is repent. You on the live stream, I don't care what you've done, you're good if you repent. To repent is just to turn to God. And most people think, I got to give up all my fun. There's no greater joy in life than to walk with the one, as Paul said, who made everything. It's in him that we live and we move and we have our being. It is foolish for me to think that I have sovereignty over myself. I didn't decide the day I was born. I will not decide the day that I die. I don't decide if I'm healthy tomorrow or the next minute. It's God. And Pastor Hyacinth has a saying, he's as close to us as our breath. That's what Paul was saying. He said he's near to every, he's not far from any of us. And then he followed it by saying, in him we live and move and have our being. It's the breath of God. He is so powerful. He breathed one time into Adam's nostril and all eight billion of us are still living off that one. That's the power of God. He doesn't keep, he's not spending all his time breathing. He did it once, just like the sun. He said, let there be light once. And every day you look eastward, that sun is going to come up. It comes out of his chamber like a bridegroom coming to his bride. That's the power of the God that I'm talking about. That's the God I want to declare unto you.
He can do anything. He can do everything. He can save you no matter. He can pick you up out of a horrible pit and out of the miry clay. I don't care about all this heretical stuff. The devil is a liar. God is true. God is true. Let's go to the next slide. I got four minutes and five slides. The next one, God accepts faith outside of Christianity. Let me, let me, let me uh, interpret that for you. All paths lead to God. It's not just one way. And they put up their Christianity, Judaism, Islam, all of it is acceptable. God accepts every one of them, and they're all going to be saved, not to worry. What's the danger of that theology? It makes people comfortable. It's, it's that blindness that Jesus detected that was undetectable to the person who had it. You live like that. I take my son to his AAU practice, and we go down uh, Germantown, and when we get to Germantown and Shelton, I see this one brother, every time he's dressed up, he's part of the fruit of Islam, he looks good, and every time I go, my eyes are fixed on him. And David and I were driving one day, and he saw me, he did this. He put his hand on his heart, and I love that young man. But that isn't the way. He's not gangbanging, he's dressed up, he looks good, and I think one of the things that's attractive to him is that the standards never change. I've never seen someone, a young man, who is converted to Islam wearing their pants half down. They feel good wearing a suit and looking good. They're clean shaven. They'll, they got bean pies in one hand, a paper in another. They look good. But that's not acceptable to God. And I still love it. And maybe one day God's going to cause me to pull over because every time I see him, and now we, our gazes meet because I go by that intersection a lot. And the last time, you know, I know how Jesus felt when the rich young man, the rich young ruler came to him and Jesus asked him about the commandments and he knew. And then he said, go sell everything you own. And he left sad. But you know what it says in the text, Minister Louise Sample? It says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And he was trying to draw him to himself. What they're saying is, everybody's all right. As long as you are religious. What Paul is saying, I see you're very religious. I see you worship. I see you have an altar. But your own words testify against you. This God that you worship, you don't even know. Him, I want to declare unto you. We're in a season where God is looking for a people who would declare him to the world. It's not about anything. It's not about anyone other than Jesus and showing people that he is the way. He is the only way to life. Well-meaning people who go to the altar, who have a form of worship, who have a form of godliness, but are denying the power. They need to know this. And here's what this shows. 54% of the people who sit in pews like you say, yep, that's true. 
Have they ever read the Bible? Well, on the other slide, if they're the same people, they said, oh, the Bible is not literal. It's not like, come on. It's just like guidance. It's not instruction for life. The Bible I read says that all scripture is God-breathed. And it's for instruction. It's for righteousness. It's for rebuke. So that the people of God can be built up. Let's go to the next one. You see the biggest bar. In 2022, we're going from bad to worse. Here's one. Jesus is a created being. Now, you know Muslims believe that. They, every Muslim, every good Muslim believes in Jesus. Every good Jew believes in Jesus. The Jews just don't believe he's the Messiah, and the Muslims believe he's a prophet. But I want to tell you today, he's more than a prophet. He's the express image of God. Paul, here's what I want you to write, and I want you to read this today if you can. Colossians one, read the whole first chapter. But beginning at verse 9, Paul starts to break it down. That if there's nothing that was made, visible or invisible, that wasn't made by him. All things were made by him. John the Beloved said it this way, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. This is another heresy. That is a lie. But people... Say, okay, yeah, he's a good man. He can't be just a good man. He can't be just a good man. I heard Bishop Granham stand almost in this very spot. No, he was standing up here. Let me go be bishop for a minute. He was standing up here. Good, keep the camera off of me so you don't lose me. And he said, it cannot be, both things cannot be true. Either Jesus is who he said he was, or he is the biggest huckster in the history of humankind. Because if he's telling people he's the way, the truth, and the light, and he's not, he's leading people astray. So for those in their religious doctrine who say he's not God, but he's a good man, he's a good prophet. He was a good teacher. He was a good teacher. That is a lie. The devil transforms himself into an angel of light. And the fear is that when you see this, this was published in Christianity Today, and you can see this is recent data. They do it every two years. People believe this. The next thing it says, Jesus was just a teacher. Do you know why he asked his disciples these two questions? Who do men say that I the son of man and he's like, I'm going to hear what the culture is saying. What is the world around you? And then what did he say next? Who do you say that I am? And he said, the people say, some say Elijah, some Jeremiah, some John the Baptist, or one of the prophets. They say he was just a teacher. 41% of the people who sit in church pews believe that. That has got to be a dead church. That has got to be. There's no resurrection life in a body of people who believe that. Let's go to the next slide. I think, yeah. People are good by nature. 
And look at the closeness of the two bars. The one on the outside, the pink, is the world. We're catching up with the world. You know why? Because of some of the things that are preached. Everything, even the way we, like, nobody talks about things like the wicked heaping up wrath unto themselves. Is that in the Bible or did I make that up? Is it in the Bible, it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. But we defend God and say, no, no, no. God's good. God loves you. So if I'm in a world of mess, I'm depressed because I know I have a conscience. When, they, when the Adam and Eve took a bite of the fruit, the knowledge of good and evil, because people who do wrong, they know they're wrong. But the way you override your consciousness is by doing it over and over. It's easier. They, even people in the mob know the hardest kill is the first one. It's going to be hard. It's going to bother you. But then after a while, you get numb. Why is that? The Bible tells us why. Because our minds are seared with a hot iron. What's be, what is beyond the searing of my mind? Reprobate mind. God turned them over to what kind of mind? A rep. So there's no regulation. There's no conscience. Those are dangerous people. I was talking to a person yesterday, at the, my wife and I, at David's practice, and she said, what in the world is happening in Philadelphia? Has, has someone, another planet, dropped off monsters? Like, why are we killing each other? Why is it? She said, back in the day, there was a code. In North Philly, they had these gang wars, but if they saw an elder, they would stop in their tracks and they would be respectful. Why was that code broken? Because it continued generation to generation, and now it becomes, you have less of a conscience towards that. That's the reason we need to keep the faith so that I will always, like Paul say, have a conscience towards God. I want to maintain a conscience before, towards God. Keep the faith. There are many people whose faith is shipwrecked. They're losing. I was so disturbed by this data, I reached out to my friend who's a theologian, and I sent him a text, and I said, what in the world is going on? What happened? What's happening? He sent me a long text response, and then we talked on the phone because it's troubling. It's troubling. I'm like, God, are there people? Are there people who I look in the eyes daily who fit in any of this data set? I want to say no. But it's not for me to say. It's for me to show the way. It's for me to speak the truth. It's not just to talk about things that are popular. One of the problems that we're having today, Ken, is that so many churches are seeker-friendly. And so what you do, you try to adapt to what's attractive. And you know if you tell the truth, you're gonna, I, I know I'm in the right church because I was about to say something with, with a velvet glove, and they said, yeah, God will. I'm like, I'm in the right place. That's God saying, don't worry, son. You have people who have ears to hear. But it is such a horrible thing because there is masses and masses of people. And you, you see the scripture coming to pass. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. But straight is the way and narrow is the gate that leads to life. 
And what these things would tell you is, it's somebody else, it's not me, I'm good. It's like saying to Jesus, Are you, is he talking to us too? He can't be talking to us. He's talking to all of us. And we have to stay plugged into him all the time because the world is constantly trying to get us to edge away, to edge away. I only have one or two more slides. Am I okay? My time is technically gone, but I have one more slide. I want to tell one more story just for illustrative purposes. You can leave that there. I'm going to get to it. Leave it there because that will draw me to it and I'll get to it. But I had a, a good friend. Um, he, he died tragically. He was a good man. Just to tell you what a good man he was. He worked in a chemical factory. And one day it blew up. And I literally saw it on the news. And his name was Elder McKenzie. I love that dude. We were, we were tight. And I said, wow, is that where he worked? And then my phone started to blow up. He was outside. He was safe. He was good, nothing wrong. He found out his boss was in there. His boss was in there. His boss wasn't so nice to him. We would have talks after church outside. You know how church is over? You're standing outside, and these were in the days, you, it's at night, you're still talking. Everybody, everybody talking, talking longer than the preacher preached. That's how you get to know each other. And he realized he was out, he ran back in. All that fire. And they said, no, no, no. He went in, he was looking for him. It was so much smoke, and the chemicals is an accelerant. So you can imagine, boom, boom, fire everywhere. He came out, the chem not only was the fire on him, but the chemicals, and he was ablazed, and they couldn't put the fire out. His son, I look up his son every now and then, his name is Chauncey, he sang for Blackstreet. And just not long ago, I, I thought about his dad and I looked him up, and I remember going to the hospital because he survived for a couple days and I, I'll never forget that smell. It wasn't a flesh burnt, but the stuff they put on. And he was like a mummy. He was wrapped up. And I went in, and I was so moved. And his son said to me, no, 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 don't let him know. I want him to know that you're here. I think he can hear you. But don't, don't cry, because that will upset him. He loves you. Don't cry. Let him know that you're here, but don't cry. And it took every ounce of strength in me. And the point is, he went in. He could have just said, I'm good. I got a wife and kids to go home. He didn't think about that. He went in, and he died, in my, in my opinion, a hero. Going in for someone who didn't really treat him well, but it was a life. And when I think about my dear friend who would run in a burning building with chemicals to save a life, how much more should I save a life who is separated from God? What would I endure in order to reach someone who doesn't even know that they're in an inferno? It's kind of like the natural blindness and the spiritual blindness. They don't even know 
But if you know and you can see it, that's why Jude said, it's time for us to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. You see by this research, there are many who have strayed. Many have gone shipwrecked. But he said, we need to snatch people out of the what? Out of the fire, hating even their garments, which are spotted. I pray that God would give us the holy boldness and the compassion to love people so much that when they're afflicted, we show them what? Kindness. And when they're in trouble, we go to rescue them. Here's the last one. This is public trust in clergy. Can you see the slope of that line from 1965 to now? And you see in the 90s, you got a bump, 64%. That's not a real bump. That's a prosperity gospel bump. You, it followed the Jesus movement. You see the one up there in the 60s? All these hippies who had gone to Woodstock and all those places, they decided, I need God. They got radically saved. And you know why they, there was such a move of the Holy Spirit? Because they weren't educated. They didn't know, and they, at that point in their life, they weren't going to go to seminary. So they leaned into the Holy Ghost, and things started to happen. I would meet, when I, I remember as a child, I would meet people like Pastor Skinner out of Newark, New Jersey. They would take pictures just of his hands. My mother-in-law gave me a picture. It was just his hands. My wife went to the church, and my mother-in-law, and they told me stories. My aunt lived in Newark, and she would tell me about Pastor Skinner. And they would have big men coming up to the altar. They were afraid for him to lay hands on them. And he said, why are you, you're a big man. Why do you fear me? The power of God was so present because the people of God lived in a way that they believed that holiness was right. There wasn't this mixing with the world. Now, I'm not talking about piety and holier than now, but I'm talking about the way we live when nobody's watching, the things that we tolerate, and being pleasing to God. When the people of God live like that, God can move. But when he has nothing to work with, things get manufactured, and it went up. And look at what's happened since. Because you know what happened? Five years passed, ten years, and people say, the only one who's prospering is the preacher. I watched a movie called Honk for Jesus. I was like, that's some mess. I said, that can't be true. I rented a car while I was in Atlanta, and I, this person picked me up because I, I have some privileges with Hertz. When I was a business person, I traveled a lot. So when I return the car, they pick me up and they take me to the, not because I'm bougie, it's just because I just happen to be, that's it. So I'm not going to pass it up. So you're in the Bible Belt, everybody goes to church. They say, you watch that movie, Hung for Jesus, first? I said, no. Oh, yeah, yeah, I saw it. I said, that was very sensationalized. It wasn't real. She gave me that side eye. Yes, it was. She started telling me stuff that my ears should not hear. And she started talking about some of the things that were done in the name of God. And I think the reason this curve 
is like it is. And you see in 2020, you got another COVID bump because people start seeking God. But isn't this a tragedy? And isn't this a barrier? Like, you, we're talking about a generation who, who likes authenticity. And if they believe I or people like me cannot be trusted, they stay away from the church. They stay away because they say they're, they're judging according to someone who's in the flesh and they're keeping them from God. It's like, first of all, that you shouldn't assess God based on me or any other person. But I have a responsibility to represent God in a way that I can lead people. Just like Paul goes in the midst of the Areopagus, who are this council of very important people, and he spoke truth to them. And if you keep reading the last two verses, it says, some of them said, we'll hear this matter later, but others believed. That's always the way. Wherever you go, wherever I go, we can speak to people. Some of them are going to believe, and they're going to want to know. Others are like, ah, let me think about this later. I'm late. I got to get to the club. I'll talk to you later. It's never going to be everybody, but somebody, those who God has appointed, will come. This to me is disturbing. But then, here's what I heard God say. I know how this look to you as a man, and I know what you're thinking. I know the thoughts of your heart, but could it be that all this that caused people to scatter from the church, scatter, could it be that I'm gathering that now I'm gathering a remnant, and I'm, all it takes, I started this thing with 12 people. You now live in a generation where you think God is where the big numbers are. And some of them believe those slides that we were just showing. That's why a lot of people show up, because they feel good about themselves. They feel justified. No matter what they do, it's all right. Don't worry, God's going to wipe everything away. There is no accountability. But could it be that God is raising up a people in these last days who are going to speak the truth in love, who are going to point them like John the Baptist to Jesus Christ and him only? There are people who lack understanding. And here, I'm going to close. I try to do storytelling because it makes it relevant. And you don't have to be a theologian to get it. Thank you, Minister Tim. I often exchange, I have some young people that I interact with so I can know what's going on. And I got a, something on Instagram when there was this whole Roe v. Wade debate. And there was a young lady who was outraged. They said, all these church people talking about a God who kills people, who commands people to be killed. How can he care about a child in the womb? And it's not, it's not about any side. That's not why I'm saying this. It has nothing to do with politics, has nothing to do with whatever side you're on, has nothing to do with that. It has to do with this person and this kind of thinking. Could it be, could it be that she doesn't understand who God is? And I'm like, is there anybody in her life, like Paul, saw these people and he said, that's the God I want to declare to you. 
My prayer is somebody would send to that young lady so that she would understand that this God that Paul talks about, everybody lives in him. And it does, if you perish from the earth, he still has the power for you to live again in him. It's not the end with him. So you don't know what he's doing. The problem that Job's friends had is they didn't know what God was up to. They didn't know what he was doing. And all of us know in part, the day is coming that we shall know even as we're known. But for right now, we have to grope for him. Paul said that you might grope for him and find him. You know what it's like to grope in the dark? We have to grope in the light to find him. I want to find him in every situation. Where, God, where are you? Where are you in this? And only speak what I hear from him. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. Thank you for joining us in service today. We pray that this ministry has been a blessing to you and your family. To give your gift of love and help keep this ministry on the air, visit nccop.church giving for all of the ways that you can donate to the ministry. Thank you so much for your generosity and God's blessings until we meet again.